Hi everyone, I'm Alex. Welcome to Reading Poorly. The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood, Chapter 7 How Little John Lived at the Sheriff's. Thus Little John entered into the Sheriff's service and found the life he led there easy enough, for Sheriff for the sheriff, made him his right-hand man, that was quick, and held him in great favor. He sat nigh the, uh, the sheriff at meat. He sat nigh the sheriff at meat. Like, I assume, like, at dinner time, he sat close to him or something. And he ran beside his horse when he went a-hunting. A hyphen hunting. Yeah. So that, uh, what with hunting and hawking a little, and eating rich dishes and drinking good sack, and sleeping until late hours in the morning, he grew as fat as a stall-fed ox. Thus things floated easily along with the tide, until one day, when the sheriff went a-hunting again, there happened, yeah, there happened that, there happened that which broke the smooth surface of things, okay? This morning the sheriff and many of his men set forth to meet certain lords to go a-hunting again. He looked all about him for his good man, Reynold Greenleaf, but not finding him, was vexed, for he wished to show Little John's skill to his noble friends. As for Little John, he lay abed, snoring lustily, till the sun was nigh was high in the heavens. It was nigh over on the <laughs> previous paragraph, and now it's high. Um, till the sun was high in the heavens. At last he opened his eyes and looked about him and did not move to arise, er, but did not move to arise. Brightly shone the sun in, oh, brightly shone the sun in at the window. And all the air was sweet with the scent of woodbine that hung in sprays about the wall without. For the cold winter was past and spring was come again. And little John lay still, thinking how sweet was everything on this fair morn. I wonder... I, I wonder how the merry men are doing right now. <laughs> you know? Um... You know, if Robin knows what's happening with Little John, if they think he's dead, if they've seen him working and think he's betrayed, or if they know that he's just kind of, well, I, at least I imagine he's just kind of spying, right? I don't know. Um, okay, sorry. Little John lay still, thinking how sweet was everything on this fair morn. Just then he heard, faint and far away, a distant bugle note sounding thin and clear. The sound was small, but like a, like a little pebble dropped into a glassy fountain. It broke all the smooth surface of his thoughts, until his whole soul was filled with disturbance. His spirit seemed to awaken from its sluggishness, and his memory brought him back all the merry greenwood life. Brought back to him all the merry greenwood life. How the birds were singing blithely there this bright morning, and how he loved his companions, oh, how his loved companions and friends were feasting and making merry or perhaps talking of him with sober speech for when he was for when he first entered the sheriff's service he did so in jest but the hearthstone was warm during the winter and the fair was full f a r e you know the you know he was well taken care of and the fair was full and so he had abided uh, putting off from day to day his going back to sherwood until six long months had passed but now he thought of his good master and of Will Stutely, whom he loved better than anyone in all the world, and of young David of Doncaster, 
whom he had trained so well in all manly sports, till there came over his heart a great and bitter longing for them all, so that his, so that his eyes filled with tears. Then he said aloud, Here I grow fat like a stall-fed ox. <laughs> um, same description as before. Like a stall-fed ox, and all my manliness departeth from me, while I become a sluggard and dolt. But I will, uh, but I will arouse me and go back to mine own dear friends once more, and never will I leave them again till life doth leave my lips. So saying, he leaped from bed, for he hated his sluggishness now. When he came downstairs, he saw the steward standing near the pantry door, a great fat man with a huge bundle of keys hanging to his girdle. Then Little John said, "Ho, oh, Master Steward, a hungry man am I, for not have I." had for all this blessed morn, blessed morn. Therefore, give me to eat. Okay. Then the steward looked grimly at him and rattled the keys in his girdle, for he hated little John because he had found favor with the sheriff. So, Master Reynold Greenleaf, thou art an hungered, art thou? It's A-N and then hungered. <laughs> I would have expected a hungered just because of a hunting and stuff, but yeah. Thou art an hungered now, quoth he. But, fair youth, if thou livest long enough, thou wilt find that he who getteth overmuch sleep for an idle head goeth with an empty stomach. For what saith the old saw, Master Greenleaf? Is it not the late fowl findeth but ill-farling? Or, or ill-faring? It's kind of like the early bird gets the worm, but it's actually talking about the late bird not getting the worm. <laughs> Now thou great purse of fat, cried little John, I ask thee not for fool's wisdom, but for bread and meat. Who art thou, that thou shouldest deny me to eat? By St. Dunstan, thou hadst bet, uh, best tell me where my breakfast is, if thou wouldst save broken bones. Thy breakfast, Master Fireblaze, is in the pantry, answered the steward. Then fetch it hither, cried little John, who waxed angry by this time. He's becoming kind of entitled, isn't he? Go thou and fetch it thine own self, quoth the steward. Am I thy slave to fetch and carry for thee? I say, go thou, bring it to me. I say, go thou, fetch it yourself. Fetch it for yourself. Man, for remembering fondly the life of um, the life of the forest, he is not really uh, remembering that he'll have to get it himself. <laughs> yeah. I marry, uh, that will I, right quickly, quoth little John in a rage, and so saying, he, he strode to the pantry and tried to open the door, but found it locked, of course, whereat the steward laughed and rattled his keys. Then the wrath of little John boiled over, and, lifting his clenched fist, he smote the pantry door, bursting out three panels and making so large an opening that he could easily stoop and walk through it. There you go, punch the door down. When the steward saw uh, what was done, he waxed mad with rage, and as little John stooped to look uh, within the pantry, he seized him from behind by the nape of the, ne nape of the neck, pinching him sorely and smiting him over the head with his keys uh, till the yeoman's ears rang again. Oh yeah, that reminds me. So I was thinking, last chapter, or maybe the one before, I was talking about uh, yeoman, or yeoman. Um, and I realized what I thought of when I think of yeoman. 
I think of the village people and YMCA. <laughs> the yo man. And that that's as much as I'm going to sing of it. You know I don't like to sing. If you want to hear me do it more, repeat that second just then. Got it? Okay. Um... Oh, smiting him over the head with his keys till the yeoman's uh, ears rang again. At, at this, Little John turned upon the steward and smote him with such a buffet that the fat man fell to the floor and lay there as though he would never move again. There, quoth Little John, think well of that stroke and never keep a good breakfast from a hungry man again. So saying, he crept into the pantry and looked about him to see if he could find something to appease his hunger. He saw a great venison, venison pasty and two roasted capons, beside which was a platter of plover's eggs. I don't know what a plover is. Um, a short-billed, gregarious wading bird. <laughs> okay. Um, wading bird uh, makes me think of like a, like a heron or a flamingo. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but that's what I'm going to picture. I'm not quite sure why it's gregarious, but... <laughs> so, okay. I'm not sure how you can tell that it's a plover's egg either, but, you know, maybe it's distinctive, like robin's eggs are blue, that kind of thing. Um, okay, he saw a great venison pasty. I wonder how he knows what's in it. Maybe it's labeled. And two ra roasted capons, uh, besides wit beside which was a platter of plover's eggs. Moreover, there was a flask of sack and one of canary, a sweet sight to a hungry man. I, I don't know what canary is. Must be a drink. Probably alcoholic. These he took down from the shelves and placed upon a sideboard and prepared to make himself merry. <laughs> now the cook in the kitchen across the courtyard heard the loud talking between Little John and the steward, and also the blow that Little John struck the other so that he came running across the court and up the stairway to where the steward's pantry was, bearing in his hands the spit, with the roast still upon it. <laughs> Meanwhile, the steward had gathered his wits about him and risen to his feet, so that when the cook came to the steward's pantry, he saw him glowering through the broken door at Little John, who was making ready for a good repast, probably like a rematch, Oh, meal. Okay. Who was making ready for a good meal. Uh, what? Well, sorry. Making good, making ready for a good repast. Re repast? I don't know. As one dog glowers at another uh, that has a bone. When the steward saw the cook, he came to him and, putting one arm over his shoulder, Alas, sweet friend, quoth he, for the cook was a tall, stout man. See us. <laughs> I know they've just described him as tall and stout, so he's not tall and thin. But the first thing that popped into my head was Abbott and Costello. You know, a, a short, fat man. Wasn't really that fat, but he was stout. And a tall, thin man. <laughs> um, anyway. Our last sweet friend, quoth he. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, for the cook was a tall, stout man. Seest thou what uh, that vile knave uh, Reynold Greenleaf hath done? He hath broken in upon our master's goods, and hath smitten me a buffet upon the ear, so that I thought I was dead. 
good cook, I love thee well, and thou shalt have a good pottle of our master's best wine every day, for thou art an old and faithful servant. Also, good cook, I have ten shillings that I mean to give as a gift to thee. But hatest thou not to see a vile upstart like this Reynold Greenleaf taking it upon him so bravely? Ay, Mary, that I do, quoth the cook boldly, for he liked the steward because of his talk of the wine and the ten shillings, and of the ten shillings. Get thee gone stairway, stairway, get thee gone straightway to thy room, and I will bring out this knave by his ears. So saying, he laid aside his spit and drew out the sword that hung by his side, whereupon the steward left as quickly as he could, for he hated the sight of naked steel. I'm reminded of other books where they talk about, like, don't mess with the lady of the house or the lady of the inn, or, I, and I mean, this guy's the guy, it seems, but, um, you know, don't mess with the innkeeper or whatever, no matter how good of a swordsman you are. <laughs> Um, then the cook walked straight away to the broken pantry door, through which he saw little John tucking a napkin beneath his chin and preparing to make himself merry. Why, or why, how now, Reynold Greenleaf, said the cook, thou art no better than a thief, I wot. Uh, come thou straight forth, man, or I will carve thee as I would carve a sucking pig. Nay, good cook, bear thou thyself more seemingly, or else I will come forth to that to thy dole. At most times I am as a yearling lamb, but when one cometh between me and my meat, I am a raging lion, as it were. Lion or no lion, quoth the valorious cook, come thou straight forth, else thou art a coward heart as well as a knavish thief. Ha! cried little John, coward's name uh, have I never had. So look, look to thyself, good cook, for I come forth straight, the roaring lion I did speak of but now. Then he, too, drew his sword and came out of the pantry. Then, putting themselves into position, they came slowly together, with grim and angry looks. But suddenly Little John lowered his point. Hold, good cook, said he. Now I bethink me, it were ill of us to fight with good victuals standing so nigh, and such a feast as would benefit two stout fellows such as we are. Merry, good friend, I think we should enjoy this feast um, ere we fight. What sayest thou, jolly cook? I think he's hungry and coming up with excuses to not have to fight on an empty stomach, but maybe not. At this speech, the cook looked up and down, scratching his head in doubt, for he loved good feasting. At least he drew a or, at least at last he drew a long breath and said to Little John, "Well, good friend, I like thy plan right well. So, pretty boy, say I, let us feast with all my heart, for one of us may sup in paradise before nightfall." So each thrust his sword back into the scabbard and entered the pantry. Then, after they seated themselves, Little John drew his dagger and thrust it into the pie. A hungry man must be fed, quoth he. So, sweet so sweet Chuck, I help myself without leave. But the cook, the cook did not lag far behind, for straightway his hands were also deeply thrust within the goodly pasty. But I was going to say, the pie refers to the venison pasty, like not a, you know, blueberry pie or something. Um, but there they said pasty that time. After this, neither of them spoke further, but used their teeth for, uh, to better purpose. Um, but though neither spoke, they looked at one another, each thinking within himself that he had never seen a more lusty fellow than the one across the board. Hmm. At last, after a long time had passed, the cook drew a full, deep breath, 
as though of much regret, and wiped his hands upon the napkin, for he could eat no more. Little John also had enough, for he pushed the pasty aside, as, the, um, as though he would say, I want thee by, by me no more, good friend. Then he took the bottle of the pottle of sack, and said he, Now, good fellow, I swear by all that is bright that thou art the stoutest companion at eating that ever I had. Lo, I drink thy health. So saying, he clasped that he clapped the flask to his lips, and cast his eyes aloft, while the good wine flooded his throat. Then he passed the pottle to the cook, who also said, Lo, I drink thy health, sweet fellow. Uh, nor was he behind little John in drinking any more than in eating. Now, quoth little John, thy voice is right round and sweet, jelly lad. I doubt thou, I doubt not, thou canst sing a ballad most blithely, canst thou not? Truly I have trolled one now and then, quoth the cook, yet I would not sing alone. Nay, truly, said little John, that were but ill courtesy. Strike up a, strike up thy ditty, D-I-T-T-Y, we're not talking P-Diddy here. Strike up thy ditty, and I will afterwards sing one to match it, if I can. So be it, pretty boy, quoth the cook. And how hast thou e'er heard the song of the deserted shepherdess? Truly I know not, answered Little John, but sing thou and let me hear. Then the cook took another draught from the pottle, and, clearing his throat, sang right sweetly. The Song of the Deserted Shepherdess. It has like a title there. I'm not going to sing. Have I mentioned that? But I will read the verse. Or we'll read it in verse. In Lenten time, when leaves wax green and pretty birds begin to mate, when lark cloth sing and thrush I ween, and stock dove cooeth soon and late, fair Phyllis sat beside a stone, and thus I heard her make, um, I heard her make her moan, like the the moan belongs to her. O oh, willow, 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 I'll take me of thy branches fair, and twine a wreath to deck my hair. The thrush hath taken him as she, the robin too, and eke the dove. My robin hath deserted me, and left me for another love. <laughs> robin. I wonder if that will, you know, if that's some sort of, um, foreshadowing or something. So here my brookside all alone, I sit me down and make my moan. Oh, willow, 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 willow. It's probably like, oh, willow, 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 or maybe they're all pronounced a little different or something. I'll take me of thy branches fair and twine a wreath to deck my, to deck my hair. But ne'er come herring from the sea, but good as uh, he were in the tide. Young court, Yep, young Corden came o'er the lee, and sat him Phyllis down beside. So presently she changed her tone, and gan to cease her from her moan. And, oh, I gan't, I don't, apostrophe G-A-N. I don't know what gan is. I was thinking maybe it was like a, again, like again, um, with, without the uh at the beginning, but it's not gain, but I don't know. And maybe, and, and gain to cease her, um, from her moan. Maybe, I don't know. Oh, willow, 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 willow. Thou mayest e'en keep thy garlands fair. I want them not to deck my hair. 
Now by my faith, cried Little John, that same is a right good song, and hath truth in it also. Glad I am, er, glad am I thou likest it, sweet lad, said the cook. Now sing, uh, sing thou one also, for ne'er should a man be merry alone, or sing and list not. Then I will sing, uh, then I will sing thee a song of a right good knight of Arthur's court, and how he cured his heart's wound without running and how he cured his heart's wound without running upon the dart again, as did thy Phyllis, for I watch she did but cure one smart by giving herself another. So list thou while I sing. The Good Knight and His Love when Arthur King did rule this land, a godly knight was, not a godly knight, a godly king was he, and had he of stout knights a band of merry company. Along, among them all, both great and small, a good stout knight was there, a lusty child and eke a tall, for loved, uh, that loved a lady fair. But not would she to do with he, but turned her face away, so, so got, it, it's G-A-T? Got he gone, so gat he got, got makes more sense, so got he gone to far country and left that lady gay. Um, I should point out, there's some weird E's in this. There's an E at the end of child and of country. Probably going to be more. <laughs> there, there all alone he made his moan, and eke did sob and sigh, and weep till it would move a stone, and he was like to die. But still his heart did feel the smart, and eke the dire distress, and rather grew his pain more sharp as grew his body less. Then got he back where he, uh, got he back where was good sack, and Mary, Mary come penye, I, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that in rhythm, um, it, and also, it's P-A-N-Y-E. I don't know that word. Uh, Panny, maybe? And Mary, and it's C-O-M, but I assume that's come. Um, come Penny. And soon did cease to cry alack, when blithe and gay was he. Uh, from which I hold and feel full bold to say and eke believe that gin the belly go not cold, the heart will cease to grieve. Now, by my faith, cried the cook, as he rattled the, po the pottle against the sideboard, I like that same song hugely, and eke the motive of it, which lieth like a sweet kernel in a hazelnut. <laughs> okay, he's describing the music as being like a nut, but not sure what that means. <laughs> and I'm a musician. Now thou art a man of shrewd opinions, quoth Little John, and I love thee truly, as thou wert my brother. And I love thee too, but the day draweth on, and I have my cooking to do ere our master cometh home. So let us e'en go and settle this brave fight we have in hand. Ay, Mary, quoth Little John, and that right speedily. Never have I been more laggard in fighting than in eating and drinking. So come thou straight forth into the passageway, where there is good room to swing a sword, and I will try to serve thee. Then they both stepped forth into the broad passage that led to the steward, steward's pantry, where each man drew his sword again, and without more ado fell upon the other, as though he would hew his fellow limb from limb. 
Then their swords clashed upon one another with great din, and sparks flew from each blow in showers. So they fought up and down the hall for an hour or more, neither striking the other a blow, though they strove their best to do so, and both were skillful at the fence, so nothing came of all their labor. Even or ever and anon they rested, panting, then after letting after letting their wind makes it sound like after farting. Then, after getting their wind, <laughs> at it they would go again uh, more fiercely than ever. At last, little John cried aloud, Hold, good cook, whereupon each rested upon his, his sword, panting. Now will I make my vow, quoth little John. Thou art the very best swordsman that, that ever mine eyes beheld. Truly, I had thought to carve thee ere now. He's going to recruit him, isn't he? And I had thought to do the same by thee, quoth the cook, but I have missed the mark somehow. That rhymed. <laughs> I don't know that it was meant to, but it kind of read as verse. Um, now I have been thinking within myself, quoth little John, what are we fighting for? But albeit I do not rightly know. Why, nor mo no more do I, said the cook. I bear no love for that Percy steward. Percy, like, of a purse, P-U-R-S-Y. But I thought that we had engaged to fight with one another, and that it must be done. Now, quoth little John, it doth seem to me that instead of striving to cut one another's throats, it were better for us to, to be boon companions, like friends. What sayest thou, jolly cook? Wilt thou go with me to Sherwood Forest and join with Robin Hood's band? Thou shalt live a merry life within the woodlands, and seven score good companions shalt thou have one of whom is mine own self. <laughs> he just outed himself. Thou shalt have three suits of Lincoln Green each year and forty marks in pay. Now, thou art a man after my own heart, cried the cook right heartily. And as thou speakest it, that is the very service for me. I will go with thee, and that right gladly. Give me thy palm, sweet fellow, and I will be thine own companion from henceforth. What may be thy name, lad? Men do call me Little John, good fellow. Um, it's funny because, um, that there doesn't seem to be any loyalty. No, no one has loyalty to the sheriff. And partly that shows, you know, what, what a bad leader he is. And maybe Robin Hood pays pretty well. I mean, he pays the same as what <laughs> little John, um, or he, yeah, he paid little John the same as what he got as, uh, one of Robin Hood's. So, you know, the fact that they can afford that means something, I think. But, um, the, you know, like the, the tinker and, um, wasn't there another one? No, well, I guess little John was recruited too. Um, maybe it was just the tinker that, that turned from being, you know, kind, not a servant, but, um, you know, generally in the service of the sheriff, you know, he was out to get Robin Hood. Um, and then they turned him. Um, this, this cook has potential reason to have loyalty. The tinker was just, you know, random guy off the street, right? <sighs> um, so it's interesting. I'm, I'm curious if they're going to try and turn someone who actually says no and that, or who, um, ends up betraying them. You know, like maybe the cook is actually loyal to the sheriff and he's going to spy and, you know, find the place. And granted, the sheriff kind of knows where they are anyway, but 
Anyway, um, men do call me Little John, good fellow. How? And art thou indeed Little John, and Robin Hood's own right-hand man? Man, many a time, and oft I heard of thee, but never did I hope to set eyes upon thee, and thou art indeed the famous Little John. Uh, and the cook seemed, <laughs> seemed lost in amazement, and looked upon his companion with open eyes. He's a celebrity, even among the sheriff's people. I am Little John indeed, and I will bring to Robin Hood this day a right stout fellow to join his merry band but ere we go good friend it seemeth to me to be a, a vast pity that as we have had so much of the sheriff's food we should not also carry off some of his silver plate to robin hood or to robin hood sorry kind of hiccup there as a present from his worship ay merry is it said the cook and so they began hunting about and took as much silver as they could lay hands upon clapping it into a bag and when they had filled the sack, they they set forth to Sherwood Forest, and the sheriff didn't get his dinner. Um, I wonder what the name, this guy's name is, because we haven't said it yet. Plunging into the woods, they came at last to the greenwood tree, where they found Robin Hood and threescore of his merry men lying upon the fresh green grass. When Robin and his men saw who it was that came, they leapt to their feet. Now welcome, cried Robin Hood. Now welcome, little John, for long hath it been since we have heard from thee, though we all knew that thou hast joined the sheriff's service. And how hast thou fared all these long days? Um, I wonder if they ever questioned his loyalty. Um, and, I mean, clearly there was never a situation where the sheriff decided to, you know, attack Robin Hood. Um attack the band um you know pitting little john against his friends uh directly but yeah it seems like that has not happened at least um right merrily have i lived at the lord sheriff's answered little john um and i have come straight thence see good master i have brought thee his cook and even his silver plate thereupon he told robin hood and his merry men uh, that were there, all that had befallen him since he had left to go to the fair at Nottingham Town. Then all shouted with laughter, except Robin Hood, but he looked grave. Nay, little John, said he, thou art a brave blade and a trusty fellow. I am glad thou hast brought thyself back to us, and with such a good companion as the cook, whom we are all welcome to Sherwood. But I like not so well that thou hast stolen the sheriff's plate like some paltry thief. The sheriff hath been punished by us, and hath lost three hundred pounds, even as he sought to despoil another. But he hath done naught that we should steal his household plate from him. A man of honor. Imagine that. The little John was vexed with this. He strove to pass it off with a jest. Nay, good master, quoth he, if thou thinkest the sheriff gave us not this plate, I will fetch him, that he may tell us with his own lips he, give it, or he giveth it all to us. So saying, he leapt to his feet, and was gone before Robin could call him back. Little John ran for five full miles, till he came to where the sheriff of Nottingham and a gay company were haunting near the forest. Then little John came to the sheriff, or when little John came to the f sheriff, he doffed his cap and bent his knee. God save thee, good master, quoth he. Why, Reynold Greenleaf, cried the sheriff, whence comest thou, and wh where hast thou been? I have been in the forest, answered little John, speaking amazedly, and there I saw a sight such as ne'er before man's eyes beheld. Wonder I saw a young heart. Wonder I saw a young heart. H-A-R-T all in green from top to toe. 
and about him was a herd of threescore deer, and they too uh, were all of green from head to foot. Yet I dared not shoot, good master, for fear lest they should slay me. Why, how now, Reynold Greenleaf, cried the sheriff, art thou dreaming, or art thou mad, that thou dost bring me such, bring me such, comma, a tale? <laughs> not bring me such a tale? Nay, I am not dreaming, nor am I. Am I mad? said the little, said the little John, said little John. And if thou wilt come with me, I will show thee this fair sight, for I have seen it with mine own eyes. But thou must come alone, good master, lest the others frighten them and they get away. So the party all rode forward, and little John led them downward into the forest. Now, good master, quoth he at last, we are nigh where I saw this herd. Then the sheriff descended from his horse and bade them uh, wait for him until he should return, and Little John led him forward through a close copse until suddenly they came to a great open glade, at the end of which Robin Hood sat beneath the shade of the great oak tree, with his merry men all about him. See, good master sheriff, quoth Little John, yonder is the heart of which I spake to thee. At this the sheriff turned to Little John and said bitterly, Long ago I thought I remembered thy face, but now I know thee. Woe betide thee, Little John, for thou hast betrayed me this day. In the meantime Robin Hood had come to them. Uh, now welcome, Master Sheriff, said he. Hast thou come today to make another feast with me? Nay, heaven forbid, said the sheriff in tones of deep earnest. I care for no feast and have no hunger today. Nevertheless, quoth Robin, if thou hast no hunger, maybe thou hast thirst. And well I know thou wilt take a cup of sack with me, but I am grieved that thou wilt not feast with me, for thou couldst have victuals to thy liking, uh, for there stands thy cook. Man, really rubbing it in, huh? Then he led the sheriff, willy-nilly, <laughs> willy-nilly, to the seat he knew so well beneath the greenwood tree. Ho, lads, cried Robin, fill our good friend the sheriff, a right brimming cup of sack, and fetch the, the hither. Fetch it hither, for he is faint and weary. And then one of the band brought the sheriff a cup of sack, bowing low as he handed it to him. But the sheriff could not touch the wine, for he saw it served in one of his own silver flagons, on one of his own silver plates. How now, quoth Robin, dost thou not like our new silver service? We have gotten a bag of it this day. So saying, he held up the sack of silver that little John and the cook had brought with them. Then the sheriff's heart was bitter with, within him, but, not daring to say anything, he only gazed upon the ground. Robin looked keenly at him for a time before he spoke again. Then said he, Now, Master Sheriff, the last time thou camest to Sherwood Forest thou didst come seeking to despoil a poor spendthrift, and thou wert despoiled thine own self. But now thou comest seeking to do no harm, nor do I know that thou hast despoiled any man. I take my tithes from fat priests and lordly squires, to help those that, that they despoil, and to raise up those that they bow down, that they bow down. But I know not that thou hast tenets of thine own whom thou has, hast wronged in any way. Therefore, take thou thine own again, nor will I dispossess thee today of so much as one farthing. Come with me, I will lead thee from the forest back to thine own party again. Then, slinging the bag upon his shoulder, I mean, he has taken a cook. 
<laughs> so he, he's taken something, but, you know, someone, I guess. But again, if the sheriff actually commanded loyalty of people, not, not commanding authoritatively, but, you know, commanding as a good leader would, um, maybe he wouldn't be losing the cook, right? Then slinging the bag upon his shoulder, he turned away, the sheriff following him, all too perplexed in mind to speak. So they went forward until they came uh, to within a furlong of the spot where the sheriff's companions were waiting for him. I do wonder what the budget of the Merry Men is like, though. If they can guarantee any random new recruit 40 marks. Um, though I suppose not every member has the right to recruit. So far it's only been Robin and then this one from Little John, so... Um, I don't imagine that, you know, every one of them goes off and, you know, every year gets two new guys each and they have to pay them all 40 marks. But, you know, there's got to be a little bit of, uh, of, uh, I don't know, I guess you'd say cash on hand. <laughs> there's got to be, you know, a little, a little bit of padding in the budget, uh, to be able to, to know that you have the money to give, right? Um, okay. So they went forward until they came to within a furlong of the spot where the sheriff's companions were waiting for him. Then Robin Hood uh, gave the sack of silver back to the sheriff. Take thou thine own again, he said, and hearken to me. Good sheriff, take thou a piece of advice with it. Try thy servants try thy servants well, ere they dost engage them again so readily. Try thy serv servants well, ere thou dost engage them again so readily. I'm not sure what that means. Like, try thy servants well, I, you know, like, treat people well, otherwise... I, okay, that's my guess, basically. He's saying, if you were a better leader, you'd have more loyalty. That's my guess. Then, turning, he, le he left the others, the others standing bewildered with the sack in his hands. The company that waited for the sheriff were all amazed to see him come out of the forest bearing a heavy sack upon his shoulders. But though they questioned him, he answered never a word, acting like one who walks in a dream. Without a word, he placed the bag across his nag's back, and then, mounting, rode away, all following him. But all the time, there was a great turmoil of thoughts within his head, tumbling one over the other. And thus ends the merry tale of Little John, and how he entered the sheriff's service. <sighs> um, have you ever heard the, uh, I guess, um, it's like a, a format maybe for not just a speech, um, or a, or a lesson plan, but also just, um, like a paper, you know, an essay or something. It's like, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. Have you heard that? Um, these chapters remind me of that. And even when it's multiple chapters in one, uh, you know, like it starts out with the sheriff tried to get Robin three times and then after three chapters, and that's how he did it three times. <laughs> Thank you for listening this long to me reading poorly.